You know, a lot of things in life go in cycles. The seasons come to mind. One of my favorite songs for a long time has been a song called Seasons, and it's by a singer named Nicole Nordeman. Some of you may have heard it at one point or another. I just think it's a beautiful, beautiful poetic song about how our relationship with God uh, can be like different seasons of the year and how God is all of the things and all of the seasons wrapped up into one. It's a beautiful song. If you haven't heard it, I would commend it to you. Churches often go in different cycles. Um, I read a story this week about one church that is being forced to close by its denomination because it is down to, get this, 60 worshipers on Sunday morning. I think about our church and how many people were at it on Mother's Day. And this church, the denominational office has decided, is not a vibrant or viable congregation because it has 60 worshipers on Sunday morning. What a load of BS, right? Like, that's just total. And, um, but there are times in the life of a church where, or in the life of a denomination or in the life of a movement where it might reach its natural conclusion, and that's okay. So my question for you today, and the thing that you'll be talking about in just a little bit, is what cycle are you in in your own faith journey? Or what season are you in in your own faith journey? When I was a kid, I thought, in the tradition I was raised in, I was taught that faith is a linear thing. It just moves along this line. And I imagined that faith was just this natural progression that moved in a constant direction. And in order to stay faithful, not only did one have to move in this constant direction, but one had to uh, literally and figuratively toe the line. And any deviation from that line and from that linear trajectory was considered apostate. The trajectory of the line for me began with things like felt cardboard cutouts in the church nursery where we learned about the story of Noah, which is just genocide. And the linear line was supposed to continue to me being a compliant young adult who would save himself for marriage and perhaps more importantly, vote Republican. Now, as I mentioned, today is Ascension Sunday and a linear reading of the passage might begin with a literal interpretation of Genesis 1 and 2. If you literally believe Genesis 1 and 2, and you literally believe God tells the people of Israel to commit genocide when they take the promised land or that God would do that in the story of Noah, then you necessarily might hold a literal view of the ascension and subscribe to the notion of a literal rapture, even though the theology of rapture was invented by a man named James Nelson Darby in the 1830s. I did move away from that linear view, and the next season or cycle that I was in was more of thinking of faith like concentric circles or a round target. And the bullseye or the center of that faith had to have certain unquestionable, immutable beliefs. In this way of thinking, it was easy to embrace a saying that is sometimes attributed to St. Augustine in essentials, unity, and non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. 
sometimes Augustine gets attributed with that, sometimes John Wesley and a whole bunch of others. Nobody knows who really said it. Now, this way of viewing faith can be helpful in some ways, but it has two fundamental flaws. The first is that there is a perennial impulse in many circles to count more and more beliefs as essential. This way of viewing faith erodes liberty of conscience because the only things people are at liberty to disagree about become completely insignificant things to begin with. Ironically, this leads to ever diminishing charity because you have to believe the beliefs that are deemed essential. This is why no matter how many battles fundamentalists have within a denomination like the SBC, they will repeatedly, given enough time, find more and more reasons to exclude and expel their own over increasingly viewing every belief as essential. The second flaw with the concentric circle view of faith that I went through in my own journey is it assumes that there is a perfect center of faith. Which would also mean, incidentally, that God's spirit is no longer dynamic and moving in the world and that human knowledge and experience can never question the foundations that have been approved or laid for us by previous generations. Consider, for instance, that at one point, not too long ago in history, many, many Christians believed that slavery was an essential belief. One of my groundbreaking moments in how I view faith came from a college professor named Dr. Roark. Wallace Roark was his name, and Dr. Roark walked into our Christian theology class one day at Howard Payne University, which is a rather conservative Christian school, and he stared off into space as if deep in thought, and then he uttered a reflection that shifted something in me. Before he ever began class, he just looked off maybe toward the back of the room, and said rhetorically, who says you have to be a conservative in order to be a Christian? And he paused for just a second, and then he turned around and proceeded to start writing on the chalkboard, teaching the lesson that he had planned for the day. I think back, and it's... Um, it's remarkable that in an environment like Howard Payne that one of my professors would just say that. Maybe it was because he was tenured and was within a year of retiring. I don't know. But in many circles of American Christianity, being conservative is considered an essential part of the faith because people have conflated secular politics with loyalty to God. This is the great danger of Christian nationalism. I read a party platform, the whole thing, of a major Texas political party yesterday, and the platform literally names the book of Genesis as the reason for many of its stances. When every belief becomes essential, there's no charity for anyone who dissents. And in other circles, this is challenging for me at this point in my life, being a liberal or a progressive is considered an essential part of faith, and the temptation may be just as great at times to conflate secular politics on the progressive side with loyalty or fealty to God. The way the concentric circle view of faith might apply to this passage is 
believing that the virgin birth and the resurrection and the ascension of Christ are essential core beliefs. I mean, that is the Apostles' Creed, by the way. The concentric circle view might say those are the core beliefs, but you don't have to hold to a literal view of the creation myths in Genesis necessarily to hold those essential core beliefs about Christ. That's actually the moderate kind of view that I lived with for a very, very long time. And I'm sure there's people in our church that are on that spectrum. And uh, maybe I still am and maybe I'm not. I don't know some days. There's other ways to view faith, other seasons that maybe we've gone through. There's the rationalist, humanist view of faith. Thomas Jefferson had that view where he literally, with a scalpel, cut out the passages of the Bible that had any kind of uh, miracle or supernatural event and only kept those passages of the Bible that did not have any supernatural element whatsoever. Some of the folks in our own congregation might be in that season or in that way of thinking about faith. And that's okay. There may be the mystical view of faith that God does work in supernatural ways, ways that we cannot understand fully. And, you know, we don't even have to understand or explain things like resurrection and ascension. That's an okay view, too. Then there may be the deconstructionist view. And the deconstructionist view might say things like, well, what if the most important part of the passage isn't when Jesus ascends into heaven, but when he completely ignores the disciples' questions about establishing a national theocracy? The sermon series is called Spring Cleaning, Nurturing or Nursing the Love, Loss, and Life in our faith cycles. I want you to hear this from me this morning. If you are moving or have moved from one cycle of faith or one season of faith or one view of faith, and you're in a different spot today than you were five years ago or six months ago or 20 years ago, congratulations. Welcome to the human experience. It is completely normal. If you are moving from one cycle of faith or one view of faith to another, that you might feel a sense of deep loss. Now, the loss of certainty can come with a certain measure of grief. And that's okay. Let me encourage you this morning to sit with that emotion. But also, let me encourage you to feel no shame in it. We're all in a different space in our own spiritual thinking. And that, for me, is one of the things that makes Peace of Christ as a faith community so special, even rare. We should treasure that as a congregation and continue to lean into it. You know, in just a few minutes, your host in your home at the watch party you're at today will have some prompts for discussion. And I want to invite you to continue thinking about where are you in a cycle of faith? What season of faith are you in in your life? And have you in your life moved from one season to another, one way of viewing faith? 
are holding space for faith in your own life to another view? And how has that impacted you? How does it impact your parenting? How does it impact the way that you treat and love your neighbors? I hope that you have a rich discussion and a great rest of the week. God bless.